0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. A couple of weeks ago here at church, Steve Fowler, our lead pastor, read a letter of someone that had experienced physical healing. And after he read that letter, he invited people to stand to be prayed for. And a lot of people stood up. And we've received some testimonies of people that received healing from that. And this is a testimony from Heidi. This is her healing story. I have a praise report. In the service we had, when we had people stand and pray for healing, I decided to stand. I stood for myself as well as for my kids. Without sharing all the specifics, each of us have struggled with significant anxiety and depression over the years. My son is currently at a significant low. So I stood and I asked Jesus for healing. On a side note, the weekend before, while doing chores, I hurt my back. I don't know exactly what I did, but I was in constant pain and strain for the entire week. It seems that Jesus healed me from that back pain. I don't know why or understand why not the depression as well, but the back pain is gone. And I believe it is Jesus who healed me. Thank you, Heidi. To this testimony, I want to add my own. Two weeks ago, I was here, and we had a worship night, and I was sitting in the back at the worship night, and a a woman was up, up front, and she was anointed and prayed for, and she received healing. And as she prepared to go back to her seat, someone shouted out, have her pray for us. And the poor woman had to come up on stage, and she was a little timid, but she goes for it, and she prays healing over our church. And during that time, I was in the back, and I could sense the faith was arising, and I was looking around for people that might experience healing at this moment, and I was looking for who I could go lay a hand on and how I could be a part of this. When she she started to talk about it, it was her hip that was healed. And then it hit me, you know, actually, I've been having some hip pain. I've been having pain after I run. I've been waking up at night. I've been struggling a little bit, and I don't know. I didn't come here to be healed, but I guess... Yeah, so I just changed my posture, and I asked the Lord, hey, I don't know how this works, really. I believe in it. I've seen it happen, but do you want to heal me? And I was overcome with emotion, and I sat down, and I started to, to cry, and I was still in the midst of it, just saying, like, is this a, an intimate moment with me and my Lord, or am I being healed? What's going on, or is it both? And, and I stood up after it was done, and I started to move my hips around a little bit, and it's like, they feel pretty loose. So I actually left and I found a corner out in the lobby and I started to stretch to see if I had actually been healed. And and I I skipped the next worship song. And if you were there that night and you heard some noises like up in the balcony area, that was me. I was running the stairs back and forth. And I was literally up there and I'm like, I think I've been healed. This is crazy. And I didn't really know what to do with it. So I told a couple of people, I said, I think I've been healed, but I don't want to declare this until I have a couple of sleepless nights with no waking up, no tossing and turning. And so it's been two weeks. And I'm here today to tell you that I believe Jesus has healed me. And yesterday, uh, I I went out on a run and and it was sunny and I was feeling good because my hips were pretty loose and I went a little too far. And uh, so now I'm probably going to need prayer for my my knee, but I just... (laughs) That's another story. That's just part of the celebration. But but church, we have a God that heals today. And people have been healed this weekend. And so I want to invite you, if you need healing, let faith arise. If you need healing, emotional, physical needs, would you stand up right now? And would you put your hands out? Would you join me in praying for those that need healing today? And let's see what the Lord wants to do. So, Lord, you see your sons and daughters. They are standing they are standing and faith is rise. Lord, I pray that your healing hand would extend and that you would come down and that you would bring healing to men and women in this room, to children in this room. Not because of anything they've done, but because you are a God that is gracious. It is not earned. It is simply a father showing his love to his sons and daughters. So extend your hand and heal. I pray for those suffering from migraines, that they would dissipate in Jesus' name. For those that have knee pain, may that go. Hip pain, may it go in Jesus' name. Would they feel your healing presence? Loosen up backs and necks in Jesus' name. And Lord, for those that are struggling with emotional needs whether it be panic or depression or anxiety, Lord, come and give them freedom. Lord, do it because you are a God that loves your people. So extend your hand and heal in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. It's pretty awesome to be part of a church that believes theologically that healing is still for today, but it's more fun to be part of a church that practices it and experiences it. So thank you for engaging in that. We are in the midst of a series called Revolution, and we are walking through the book of Acts. And today we're looking at Acts chapters 13 and 14, and we're going to open it up and we're going to read from there in a minute. But before we get to that, I want to introduce you to my friend, Dora. This is Dora. Aww. Dora, oh yeah, oh, wait till you hear the whole story. Anyway, <laughs> Dora, Dora came to our family. This was our first dog. She came to our family back when Dora the Explorer was popular, thus her name. My kids want to name her Dora. And uh, Dora, we were living in the Middle East at the time and we were hiking family uh, was hiking outside of Petra, and uh, my daughter had heard that there was this litter of puppies back behind the hotel, and so we all went to go see these puppies. Um, In Jordan, people don't really, back then, didn't have dogs as pets. It's kind of weird. Dogs are wild, and they're scary, and I testify to that, because I was once surrounded by a pack of wild dogs, and Jordan... And it was scary. And, uh, but anyway, we saw these dogs, and they were adorable. We're playing with them. The mom was cool with us playing with them. And we're sitting there. And then all total wisdom left our entire family. And we chose one, and we took it home. These are called Can- Canaan dogs and because uh, from, they're from the land of Canaan. And they're feral. They're wild. They're pack dogs. And so we said, hey, let's take one home. So we did it. And... <laughs> Uh, she started to grow really fast and it didn't go really well and she started to knock things over in the house and from lamps then to my kids and and it was just chewing everything and it was just becoming a little bit of a nuisance and so because we didn't have the heart to get rid of it at that point we put her in the backyard got to the point where the kids couldn't go back to the yard backyard anymore tensions kind of rising with some of the neighbors no thieves ever entered through the back Um, (laughs) and Dora was there it got to the point where I was the only one that could go in the backyard and uh, then it got to the point where I could only go in the backyard with thick gardening gloves, or my base two, I'd wear literally two baseball gloves, just go in the back to play with her. And finally, the time came where Dora had to go back where she belonged to the wild. Not an easy day for our family. But what happened was I tried to tame this dog, and I lost. I lost. This dog couldn't be controlled. And, and the gospel, it's similar. I think that oftentimes we try to control the gospel, but the gospel is is untamed. And as we will see today, as we look in Acts, this gospel, this untamed gospel is unleashed. And as it goes to the ends of the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit to these different cities, we see that just like that dog, the gospel left little intact. The gospel would enter these cities and things would change and little would be left intact. Church, my question is, have we made the message of the gospel? Have we made this kingdom of God thing a tame package that we offer to people, families, and cities? At times, I believe we have. Don't get me wrong. We catch glimpses of this kingdom of God thing happening all the time around here. We've just celebrated multiple healings, and God is doing amazing things. But I think there's also more. I don't think we've seen the full picture, the true potential of what God wants to do. And when I say that, I realize that there are people in this room that just kind of shut off because you feel that's burdensome. You feel like more. I don't want to do more work. I can't exert more. I'm already giving. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a posture that allows the spirit to blow in and bring fresh wind and fresh fire and make our city a city at peace with God like we've never seen before. Back when I was in 6th and 7th grade, I used to have to get these allergy shots. I was allergic to mold and mildew. And so uh, I would have to go monthly and get these shots. And and nowadays, because we just do everything so kindly now, it's uh, allergen immunotherapy. It's still shots. You know, I still had to like go to the office and they'd jab me with the needle and I would go and they would jab me with the needle and they would put into my body just a little bit of mold, just a little bit of mildew and it wouldn't affect me. I wouldn't feel the effects of this but internally, my body was reacting to that. My body was building up a tolerance. It was building up this tolerance so in the real world when I faced mildew or I faced mold, I wouldn't have an attack and I would be just fine. In church, I think that's what we've done. We've done that. We've done that with the gospel in a way we've been subdued by it. We've seen enough of it. We've heard enough messages. It surrounds us and in a way we've become inoculated to it. It doesn't affect us the way it maybe once did. We've gotten just enough of the real of we've gotten just enough of the real thing to be safe from the fullness of the gospel unleashed in our lives. The author N.T. Wright writes about when he's talking about this first missionary journey of Paul that we're looking at today. He talks about how oftentimes we sacrifice the highs, these intense moments of the spirit and the power and faith because we are so afraid of the lows. And that we as the Western church oftentimes live in the comfortable middle. I love how he describes this first journey and he says this. He says, this is to precisely show the explosive, if deeply confusing effects of taking the message of Jesus into the wider world. The journey of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth is unstoppable, but uncomfortable. That comes with the territory. So we continue on in our series called Revolution, and we look at the Acts of the Apostles, and we see how the gospel goes forth, because a revolution happened back then, because the gospel left little intact, and friends, the gospel leaves little intact today as well. So turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13. If you're using the Bible in the pube in front of you, that is found on page 917, 917. In 17. This is the living out of Pentecost. The Spirit is coming to help and bear witness, and the gospel is spreading. This new message, this new movement has started. It is spread outside of just Jerusalem, partly because of persecution, and it's spread out. It has made its home. The hub of it is in Antioch. And it's become a diverse movement full of people from all different nations. It's diverse in many ways. It's even gone to the Gentiles. And its hub is in the city of Antioch. And here's a map for you so you get an idea. Antioch is a city north of Jerusalem. It is in Syria in that day. Today this would be considered modern Turkey and, and the, this is the journey that Paul will go on, and you see where he'll be traveling, all these different places in Asia Minor, today modern Turkey. But Antioch was a fascinating city. I didn't even realize this until I started studying for this message. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. In influence and size, it was only behind Rome and Alexandria. And it was a diverse, multicultural city. It was full of pluralism, uh, many gods, And that's where we see the church flourishing. This is the hub of the early church. And so we pick the story up in Acts 13, verse 1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manain, the childhood companion of kig Herod, Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Let me pause, let me stop right here for just a second because the next chapters that we'll be looking at over the next couple of weeks all tie back to what happens right here. You see, we have this church in Antioch. We have this church with the prophets and the teachers and it's this diverse group of people. These are the early adopters of the message of Christ. And and this is the New Testament church. And I love that they are gathering simply with no agenda but to worship and listen. They're gathering. They're fasting to intensify that focus. They're creating. They're making space to hear from God. They've created almost an, an incubator of sorts. They turn the volume up, and they're ready to hear from God. That's what we've been doing here at Same Alliance on these quarterly worship nights is we simply gather as a body of believers with no agenda. With no agenda other than to worship God and hear what he has to say to us. And I love that the church in Antioch took time to listen. But it's interesting because what God spoke to them was not what they probably thought would happen. What he spoke to them was actually send two of your best out. You see, The church was expanding. The church in Antioch was on fire. It was growing. That's why Paul and Barnabas traveled there to take part in it. As leaders with seeing God move, they wanted to go where the action was. They wanted to go to that church and be part of it to build it up and make it great. So how surprised would they be when the word of God comes to them and says, actually, you two need to go. How big of a sacrifice was that for not only Paul and Barnabas, but for the church in its entirety? They together collectively embraced this uncomfortable and they sent. And there lies our first point, the gospel leaves little intact. So listening and doing can be costly and uncomfortable. Listening and doing can be costly and uncomfortable. The church in Antioch felt their obedience. They lost two great men. They lost two great leaders in their obedience. And I'm sure God raised up more. We know he did. But it was their amen that was their obedience. Their obedience released the presence of God into all new areas in Asia Minor. As the author Irwin McNanna says, God's will for us is less about comfort than it is about our contribution. And so they head out. Because they made room to listen, because they heard to God, from God, the journeys began. And the world would never, literally never be the same. Their first stop, the island of Cyprus. And we pick the story back up in verse 4. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Notice that. They were laid hands on by these men who sent them out. In the next verse, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Varjesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man." Must be nice to just be known that way. Just intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God, but Elimes, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered. And he urged the governor to pay no attention to what Paul and Barnabas said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. So, Paul, so Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gets pretty intense. He gets pretty fierce here. He looks at the sorcerer in the eye and he says, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all the true, all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, a mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. In this story, I see the second thing. The gospel leaves little intact because it confronts obstacles and opposition. It confronts obstacles and opposition. Why are we surprised when we hear from God and obey that we come against opposition? I know I'm always surprised, yet why? Why are we caught off guard that people take issue or feel uncomfortable when we share with our mouth who Christ is and what he's done in our lives? Here we see Paul and Barnabas, they meet with the governor, word has spread about this message that they have to bring. And right away, In this first major city that they visit, they hit an incredible obstacle in the form of a sorcerer, a false prophet. See, the gospel is bound to confront other power structures, other thought systems. In Cyprus, it was a sorcerer. In our context, it could be the same, but sometimes it's skepticism, cynicism, rational constructs that leave no room for the supernatural. Right away, an intense confrontation, and Paul goes for it. Paul goes for it. And I see two things that happen as he goes for it. The first, Paul perseveres, and because of it, a powerful governor comes to faith, which has a large effect on this entire island of Cyprus. I love his story. I love that it says he's an intelligent man. He's a man of intellect. And then the way it ends, it says that he came to faith because he heard the message. Man, if I saw what had just happened, I'd probably come to faith because I saw the power. But God meets this man where he needs to be met. He knows he's a man of intellect, and so the story, the truth of what they bring him rings true in his mind, coupled with the power. The second thing I see here is I think that Paul's authority grows. I think he's given a promotion in authority. And we see over and over as he, as he uh, comes up against obstacle after obstacle, we see that God entrusts him with more and more. We see him be entrusted with more and more as he goes from city to city and proclaims who God is. You see, to know the strength of the Lord released through us, oftentimes we have to overcome opposition. In fact, it's these oppositions, it's these obstacles, these perceived setbacks that send us to our knees, that increase our dependence on him. Just in these chapters, we see the gospel confront polytheism. We see the gospel confront this this city that has multiple gods and sees God move, and they try to fit that into their constructs. And we see the gospel come against that. We see the gospel come against sickness as a crippled man is healed and can walk. We see the gospel come against these religious, Jewish, legalistic leaders that want to hold on to the perceived power and keep things a certain way, keep their comforts. Opposition will be there. Even now, for some of us, what has been purposed for us is on the other side of opposition. A couple weeks ago, we commissioned a team, a deaf ministry team, that traveled to Burkina Faso. And that team was up here, and there was a couple that was on the iPad, if you remember, and they're currently living in Boston, but they were going to join this team. They had been there Burkina Burkino Faso with us before, and they were feeling a possible sense to go there and move their family there and minister at this deaf school. And so they were excited to go on this team, but the day before they were supposed to leave, their child got sick. In fact, he was in the ER, and it looked like they weren't going to be able to go. Opposition was right there. So they raised up intercessors and sent out emails and people began praying and the fever of the sun came down and he got out of the ER, but they missed their flight. And so they didn't know if they'd be able to change it. And so people continued to, play, uh, to, to pray and it turns out that the flight they needed, there was three seats left and they only needed two of them and they got them. And off they went to Burkina Faso where their calling to go was confirmed. And they are now in the process of becoming sent people. To bring the truth of who Christ is to the deaf communities of Burkino Faso. But it was their ability to just not throw in the towel and say, I guess we can't go, but their ability to fight through the opposition. For some of us to truly fulfill what we've been called to and commissioned to, we need to confront that problem or obstacle. Maybe that looks like actually having that conversation. Maybe that looks like finally forgiving that person. Maybe it means taking that financial risk and relying on his provision. Maybe it looks like sacrificing our comforts for the unknown. Church, the kingdom of God is expressed in many ways. But one way that the kingdom of God is expressed is through the way people confront obstacles and overcome. It releases more of heaven here on earth. The gospel leaves little intact, so listening and doing can be costly and uncomfortable. And we should expect to c- confront obstacles and opposition. And finally, the gospel leaves little intact because it elicits reaction and response. It elicits intense reaction and intense response. When the true gospel is witnessed, shared, demonstrated, no one should be neutral. Here in Acts, we see people are either radically in and transformed, or they are horribly against and just get angered by this preposterous idea of Christianity. We see this over and over as Paul and Barnabas travel. After they leave Paphos and the next city they go to, we see what happens. They show up in the synagogue on the first Saturday that they're there, and Paul is asked to just share a couple of words. And he shares a couple of words and says, I'll be back next week. And the next week, the entire city shows up. An incredible outturn. You know, I mean, all these people come out. What a response. And he shares the fullness of the gospel with them. And what do we have? We have two groups. One group, it says, receive the Holy Spirit and joy. The other group, they become a mob and they get rid of him. Quite a response. They leave that city, and the next city they go to, same thing. They proclaim the fullness of the gospel, and it's accompanied by signs and miracles. And many people put their faith in Christ, but also... Many people are angered, and again a mob develops. And they hear about this mob, and they escape that city, and they end up in Lystra and Derbe. And in Lystra and Derbe, they see a crippled man. They they give healing to this man in Jesus' name, and everyone sees it. And they declare that Paul and Barnabas are gods, and they even sacrifice to them. And there's an incredible response. The city is uproar. You know, they are just God is here. God is moving, but it's the wrong response. And Paul confronts him on that and tells him, no, there's one God and this is what it's like. And then that creates more response and more reaction. And next thing you know, Paul is stoned and he's left outside the city to die. That is quite a non-neutral response. But over and over we see this. Look, maybe there were other crowds that we don't hear about from Luke as he writes this book. Maybe there were those people that were saying, hey, that's nice for them, but for me it didn't stir anything. I'm not really feeling it. Maybe there were crowds that were out there that were saying, hey, you believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe, but let's just still try to be friends. But we don't see that here. What we see is a teaching that leaves little intact in these cities. The announcement that the kingdom of God and the process to enter it, it is released with power for life. Some accepted it and received that power and some were threatened by it and their reactions were extreme. Church, the gospel has the power for salvation. That is a claim that should elicit response and reaction. This is why Peter tells Christ, you have the words of life. You have the words of life. And friends, so do we. So do we. So how do we apply this to our lives? How do we really live this out? How do we live the gospel out in a way and, and build community that is sustainable, that, that, that points to Christ? Let me just start by saying we are. Let me start by saying well done, community of faith, here at Sam Alliance Church For we are making this city a city at peace with God. Salem for refugees, the free clinic, night to shine was a success. 20 more people were baptized just last week. We are building up future generations of leaders and sending them out through RTI. We are through Feed Salem bringing nourishment to the communities that don't have enough here in this city. Healing prayer teams have been formed and are existing and people are being set free from bondage. Incredible things are happening around here. Moms are having coffee with other moms, sharing faith, sharing hope. Professionals are listening to their coworkers, doing life with them, and offering grace. People are sharing the words of life that they have with their neighbors, and people are coming to faith because it is happening. Yes, we should celebrate that. But church, I also believe that there is more. I believe that a new season is emerging where we, the church, will be asked to contribute in fresh and more costly ways. I believe that a new commissioning is almost ready to be poured out upon us. I believe it with all my heart, one that anoints us and fills us for all aspects of life. I believe God wants to fill us, his people, and give us authority to exercise what he has put in us. In fresh ways, in every sphere of influence in our city. God is ready to empower us as we walk in businesses, family, counseling, art, medicine, government, everywhere we walk. Consider what I am saying a new commissioning is arising. And how will we prepare? Are we ready? Let me give you a couple ways that I think we can prepare together. The first one is get out of neutral. Get out of neutral. If you are here today and never experienced these words of life, this gospel of salvation, can I encourage you, today you can. Today you can. There are people here that have been coming for weeks, months, years, but you've never taken that step of faith. Can I encourage you, there's probably something that is causing a block. There's something in your life that you are unwilling to let be knocked over because you don't want to receive the fullness of this message because you know you will have to react one way or the other. But today, can I encourage you, you keep coming because God is pursuing and and can I encourage you to let those things be knocked over and receive this in its fullness for the first time and let it sink in today in Jesus' name. For others of you that are here today, you need to ask yourself this question, what in my life have I set up that needs to be disrupted or knocked over? What are the comfort walls that I have built in my life A great question someone shared with me this week. How am I defending my comfort? Man, I'm going to be asking myself that all the time because I am a defender of my own comfort. I encourage you to do that now. Do that as we worship here in a minute. But I challenge you sometime this week to ask yourself that question. Skip a meal fast. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do you have for me? What is my contribution to what you are doing? A third way to engage with this is to create listening space. Consider getting to a worship night. Our next one is going to be on Pentecost Sunday. Come to that. Understand in those times, we can't manufacture healing, deliverance, or prophecy. You can't be forced. It can't be created. All we can do is simply make space to allow it to happen and to hear from God. And that's what we do on those nights. We come and we minister and we worship and together with no agenda. We simply make room to hear. And can I encourage you to make room to hear from God on your own, in community, with fasting. But also with this one, can I throw out a warning? If you make room, God might speak. Right, And if he speaks, will you have the courage to follow through and do what he asks you to do? Because chances are if he speaks, a lot of times, I'm sorry, but this just tends to be the way it works. A lot of times when he speaks, he asks you to do something that is just outside of your current comfort zone. Because he knows that's where you'll grow. Pray for courage before you create a listening space. Finally, last thing anticipate reaction and response. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised. Live with expectation. When you lean into this and you partner with what God is doing, expect higher highs and lower lows. Expect people to come to faith. Expect people to be healed. Expect people to really be turned off by what you have to offer them. One of my favorite theologians has a saying. He says, where no one gets healed, no one gets stoned. Friends, the gospel does not leave things intact. It disrupts, it knocks things over. So we need to embrace that. We need to walk with anticipation. I believe we will continue to be a people that will see great things, that will hear of the amazing stories of what God is doing in Salem and beyond. Let's pray. Jesus, right now, I just pray for anyone that has felt burdened, by this message, that this is going to be more work or more exertion on their part, and I release them from that, and I just replace that with anticipation of your spirit moving, and I bless them. Lord, for those in this room that, that don't yet know you, Lord, would you, would you stir something in them? Lord, as we walk out of here, I just pray that you would give us anticipation as we make room to hear from you Would you teach us how to get out of that comfortable middle and to live a life of anticipation? Lord, we want to have those highs. We want to follow you. So Lord, continue to give us peace and unleash us. In Jesus' name, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers@salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com/salemalliance.